Okay, good morning, everybody. Happy Mother's Day. Um, it's a special day, as, you know, as we all are aware of, and I would like to lift up a couple of really special and important mothers in my life. Uh, that, that, that would be uh, my own mother, Shannon Tinkle. I, I, I feel quite a few of you have met her before. She lives in Michigan, but she's most notably recognized for the porcupine on top of her head. And uh, she is, well, I am just eternal. I just, I guess I, she listens to these quite, quite often. So I'm talking to you, Mom. I love you. Uh, you are an amazing woman, and I am eternally indebted to you. And in the immortal words of Buzz Lightyear, I, I, my gratitude grows for you as, as I become more and more of a, you know, further into my fatherhood to infinity and beyond. Um, and then the other special mother uh, in my life is my wife, Ian's son. And uh, she is an incredible uh, mother, incredible wife. And honestly, uh, I'll just spare you guys, but if you want to know more about my wife, you just got to go to Proverbs 31 and read. And I, I'm, like, I'm not kidding. I'm not being facetious here. Just get, go down the list, check, check, check. She, she really checks all the boxes. So I uh, just want to lift up my own mother and my wife. Uh, so happy Mother's Day, everybody. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about motherhood in the message as well. So we're going to be uh, in Philippians chapter 2. And honestly, Philippians 2, uh, especially the beginning of the chapter, is one of the greatest portions of Scripture. I mean, the, the Scripture is amazing. It's great. It's, it's the most powerful book that's ever been written. And we're about to read one of its most powerful passages. Um, so Philippians 2, verses 1, I think we'll get through about verse 12 today. Okay, so what is going on? Right before we dive into scripture, I want to just talk about a couple things. What's the context? What's going on? Uh, you know, because the way Philippians is written, you might think that everything in the Philippian church is just good, because Paul is rejoicing, and he's singing their praises, and it's just so positive. But in that, that's true. It's funny because those things are simultane simultaneously true as the church faces opposition, as Paul's in prison, as people preach Christ out of false motives to uh, infuriate, Paul, infuriate Paul. There's conflict in the church, serious conflict. Uh, it's, it's kind of just mentioned in passing in Philippians 4. But then the letter of Philippians ends with this plea for unity. And so really everything in Philippians is just building up to this plea for unity. So all this theology, all this stuff that comes before is, is about how we be unified. Um, I just I can't seem to escape when I'm reading the, the letters of Paul. I cannot seem to escape the theme of unity that runs throughout and is so important for us today. And so really what's happening is that the church, just as we are today, is facing difficult circumstances. And so unity is something that they need, something they need to work towards. And in order to have unity, we need to do what the scripture says today. And it says something very challenging, something that we don't always think about 
in, in, the, in the terms of which we're going to talk about it today, and that is to have the exact same attitude as Jesus Christ. The exact same attitude as Jesus Christ. That is the attitude that a Christian ought to have. Uh, Viktor Frankl, author of Man's Search for Meaning, a Holocaust survivor, said this. He said, everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances to choose one's own way. And when someone talks about the ability to choose your attitude, it just hits differently when somebody who lived through Auschwitz says it. But it's true. It's true. And we're going to read and talk about that today. So we're going to uh, jump into the scriptures. Philippians 2, 1 through 5 says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And that's where the, the mindset, the Greek word proneo, we, we, could, we could translate that as the exact same attitude as Christ Jesus. And so there's a lot of uh, directives in this passage. Like, how do we, this is, how do we do all of these things? How do we have tenderness and compassion? How do we not do anything out of selfish ambition, vain conceit? And really the crux of all of this that holds it all together is in humility value others above yourself. Our first point for today's message is humility. What is humility exactly? Because there's a lot of a lot of ideas out there about what humility is. I'll tell you what it isn't. Humility is not a low view of yourself. That is not what humility is. Because The reason why that's not what humility is is because the moment that our thoughts become about ourself, it ceases to be humility. So things like self-hatred, Self-loathing. It's all about self. And, and actually what that is, is it's, is it's pride in an even more dark and twisted form. You know, the, the scientific psychological lit literature shows universally that narcissistic people hate themselves. So a low view of oneself is not the path to humility. So what is? A high view of God and a high view of others. So a question to be a barometer for humility is do you revere your brothers and sisters? That brother or that sister that you strongly disagree with 
or see things very differently. Do you know that they are an endless spiritual being made in the image of God? That they are created by God, intricately woven together, crafted to be his masterpiece. They are just the way he wanted them, just the way he created them. They are just a little lower than the angels. God's presence, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of them. That's how we should approach one another. You see, this scripture said, in your relationships with one another. You know, you can have the exact same attitude as Christ Jesus in every area of your life except for the relationships, and it won't do you hardly any good. Because God's word is lived out in the context, 95% of it is lived out in the context of relationships. We have to have this towards one another. You know, another thing that that passage said is to be of one mind. And what, is that, what does that mean exactly? Well, it doesn't mean that we agree on every single thing, to be of one mind. And I know that because God wouldn't ask us to do something that's impossible, something that's never been done. No church has ever been able to do it. I can't even manage to do this with my own wife, the closest relationship in my life, to agree on everything. So that's not what is in scope here. And if I were to just briefly summarize what is in scope, it, something that helps with unity, probably more than anything else, is a unifying purpose. So are we all committed to the same purpose? And that purpose for us is to the advancement of God's kingdom in, in all shapes and forms, right? God's kingdom is, is to bring many good things here on earth and in the future. The advancement of God's kingdom and, and one another. And the reason why we have to be committed to the advancement of God's kingdom and to one another because we can't advance God's kingdom without one another. And so when you're baptized and you come into Christ, you make a covenant between yourself and God, right? Jesus is Lord. When you're baptized, you also make a covenant with one another. These are my people, and I'm going to stick with them. This is the attitude that we have to have in our relationships with one another, humility. Let's go ahead and keep reading. Verses 5 through 11 say this. In your relationships with one another, I'm repeating verse 5 because it's so important, have the exact same attitude as Christ Jesus. We're going to learn a lot about Christ's attitude in these next few, ver in these next few verses. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Jesus descends in humility to the form of a, of a human, to the, not just any human, 
but a servant, a slave, and dies a death that's subhuman. It's inhuman to be crucified. No one deserves to die that way. In Genesis chapter 3, the serpent says something to Eve. He says this, For God knows that when you eat from it, that being the tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, obviously Eve transferred this information to her husband, Adam. And so Adam saw equality with God, to be like God as something to be used to his own advantage. But Jesus did not. This, this work of Christ, his life, is a reversal of what happened even as far back as the Garden of Eden. You know, God wants us to be the kinds of people who he can give power to, and that we would use that power exclusively for the benefit of others. I mean, no one has ever lived more powerful than Jesus. Jesus said, well, he healed people, he did all kinds of miracles, and he said, right now I could snap my fingers, a, a legion of angels would show up by my side. So much power. But we never see Jesus use it to his own advantage. I'm going to lift up another mother in our congregation. I was talking with uh, the teens, the the teen disciples, and we were just, it was was several weeks ago in a discipling time, and we were talking about this concept of God giving people power. And uh, Carter shared about his mom, Christy, that, you know, it was amazing. My jaw about hit the floor. He said, you know what? I think that God could give my mom any amount of power, and she would use it only for the good of others. that's amazing. Don't give me that kind of power, please. What an amazing example. See this passage, this, this, this passage of Philippians is all about being a servant. See, a servant is something you can be. You can't do servant. You can do service. You can't do humility, but you can be humble. You can be a servant. You know, a striking aspect of this passage is that it's that divinity is completely compatible with servanthood. They are completely compatible. They go hand in hand. And, well, that's why I want to encourage the mothers on a day like this, because you are a shining example of servanthood. And it's re- so I, I'm a father of, 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 of one-year-old, and I have to say, watching my wife be a mother, I, I can just see. It's very difficult. I can just see it. And I'm like, wow, thank goodness I'm a dad, not a mom. I, I mean, they both obviously have their, their pluses and their minuses, but I'm happy being a father. And uh, and one thing about motherhood, uh, I was talking to Ian's son the other day, and she was just, she was sharing with me, you know, she, w- she was being vulnerable about, like, you know, there's some aspects of her walk with God from, from years ago that she misses. Like when she was in the campus ministry, and 
you know, it, her walk with God looked a little bit more like have a super long, quiet time, a couple hours of prayer and Bible and then meeting up with disciples and sharing our faith. And, and then, you know, you know, and then later that night you hang out, you have a meal together, you go to Devo, whatever. Like, it's, it's, all, it's so fun. It's all, I loved campus ministry. So awesome. And so she misses that, and I just, and I, and I, I, I empathize with her, and I, I just told her that, you know, that was what your spiritual formation, right? God is forming us to the image of Christ. That's what it needed to be at that time. Because, well, you, you're, you're a baby in the faith, but now it's becoming, this is, this is your spiritual formation, and you're being formed through the crucible of motherhood, into the image of Christ. And so every time, mothers, that you clean up, like you clean the floor and the floor is dirty, 10 seconds later, and you feed and look after and watch your children through all hours of the day, remember that serving is completely compatible. You're becoming more divine. Less flesh, more spirit every time that you serve your children. Another aspect of this passage is that Jesus really promoted the good of others. Right? We see he laid down his life for others. To promote the good of others is not a Christian thing. I'm not done. Promote the good, other, the good of others is a good thing, but it's not a Christian thing. I'm still not done. To promote the good of others at personal expense is a good thing and a Christian thing. See, anybody can promote the good of others. Our whole world is pretty much built on I scratch your back, you scratch mine. But it becomes a Christian thing becomes a following in the footsteps of Jesus when it costs us something. And that's why it's hard sometimes to really invest in relationships, to really be vulnerable, to really open your heart, because that's when you can get hurt. That's when it can cost you something. And so church, as in, in an effort to live out this passage, we, we need to be vulnerable with one another. We need to open our hearts to one another and invite each other in. And another barometer to see if you are a servant. As I mentioned, Jesus died a death on a cross. Inhumane. It's kind of the creativity of evil is of creating a way to death, that's, uh, to die that's that painful. So that much suffering is a remarkable thing in a very negative way. But how do you respond when someone treats you as less than human, like a slave, like a servant? How do you respond? Because if you are a servant, you'll respond like one. A really cool example of this, of this attitude, the servant attitude, having the same attitude of Jesus Christ is a woman named, I, I, she's from the Netherlands, so probably not going to say her name right, but the way that I say it is really cool. 
Corey Tenboom. Like, let's go. Boom, man. Like, what a sweet name. I would just love, you know, playing football and having boom on the back of my jersey. Like, dude, watch out for boom. He'll, he'll get you, you know. Anyways, okay. So Corey Tenboom, maybe some of you know the story of The Hiding Place is uh, a book and a movie, and it's about her. And uh, is what you can see is behind there's a hole in the wall behind her. And it's so during World War II, her family, they were a Christian family, they they housed, they would hide Jews in their home who, who were being persecuted, uh, hunted down by the Germans. And they risked their life to do this. And eventually they, they got caught doing this. And so then their entire family, well, a lot of their family was sent to concentration camps. And uh, Corey went to Ravensbrück concentration camp. And she actually was able to smuggle a Bible into the facility and was kind of like, which could have gotten her killed. Like, she really boosted the morale of the people inside the camp. And then eventually, after her, many of her family members that died, she survived. And she came out and she immediately started a rehabilitation center for other people who survived the Holocaust, and just people who were hurting or out of work in general. I mean, post-World War II, it was a very tough time. And one day, years after the war, she's at church. And a man walks in, and she recognizes him. And he goes and he stretches out his hand, you know, to shake her hand and say hello. And she realizes that he is one of the guards at Ravensbrook that she interacted with frequently and was especially cruel to her sister who, who had passed away. So can you imagine all the, what, would come, what would spring to your mind in that moment, like the feelings, the emotion, the, the physical sensations as this man reaches out his hand? And do you know what she said to him? In that conversation, she said, I forgive you. And then reflecting on that conversation in her, in her book, she says, in that moment, I never felt the love of God so powerfully. I said that wrong, but as I did in that moment. It's the attitude of Jesus. What an amazing example. Servant. Humility and servant. So we're going to end here in Philippians 2, 12 through 13. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Wait a second. Work out my salvation with fear and trembling. I thought perfect love was supposed to drive out all fear. I thought, you know, once you're saved, it's kind of you're just you coast from there, you're good. What, what is going on here? So this is kind of our practical for for today's for today's message when it comes to being humble and being a servant. We actually need to make every effort at doing so. You see, God's grace 
is opposed to earning, but not to effort. Matter of fact, grace and effort were made for each other. Because when they combine, when our efforts and God's grace combine, it causes our efforts to accomplish so much more than we ever thought or we could imagine. You know, the man who wrote the book on the grace of God said this, Paul, By the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. Amen? Grace has a, po has a powerful effect on our life. He says, no, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. It's interesting. We have almost a, a paradox going on here. Which is it? You know, I've never heard or seen or read about someone who the grace of God was working powerfully in their life, and they weren't trying whatsoever. I've never seen that. And if your theology has you so paralyzed that you can't do anything, because you might, you might do a work, you might be legalistic, you're missing out on the greatest aspect of having a relationship with God, and that's partnering with him. We partner with him. You know, many people think that Christianity is about having an answer to the question of what will happen to you when you die. And Christianity certainly answers that question. But more importantly, the question that Jesus went around asking in his ministry was, what if you didn't die today? What would you do? What would you live for if you didn't die today? Would we have, you know, it's a, it's a lot in my mind. It's actually a lot easier to die for something than to live for something. You know, I, I mean, I've, I'm weird, so I think about this stuff. I've played this scenario, like, a, a bunch of times in my head. What would happen if someone, you know, threatened my wife or my daughter, like, in all kinds of different ways, and it's like, of, I would just intervene. I would sacrifice my life, no question. It's, it's not even a difficult decision. And so all I would have to do to die for the ones that I love is muster up courage for a split second. But to live for something, to love my wife every day, to overlook her shortcomings, to, and my daughter, and to spiritually encourage them and help them get to heaven, I have to muster up the courage every single day. It's much harder to live for something than to die for something. And so through humility, through being a servant, through the cross, God changed the course of history. He changed our eternal destiny. God does not work in spite of difficult circumstances. He does not work in spite of difficult circumstances. He works through them. And he does this to show that it's not our efforts. It's not human ingenuity. It's his spirit and his people. 
And so as you walk away from today's message, I want to share this verse with you. Also by Paul, he says, for who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. You know, when I have, maybe you can relate to this, when I have a a sinful thought, a, a judgmental thought, a lustful thought, so often what goes on in my mind is, oh my, just get frustrated. I'm like, I just, so far from having the mind of Jesus. It, like, I'll just never get there. And that, and I've, that never gets me anywhere. Let's just say that. So instead of in your own mind thinking that you can never have the exact same attitude of Jesus, instead of that, start internalizing the belief that you already do. And so when I respond to those thoughts with, hold, that doesn't belong there, I have the mind of Christ. Totally different outcomes. The mind is a powerful place. Stop thinking that you can't have the mind of Christ Jesus and start believing that you already do. Let's go ahead and pray for communion. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son Jesus and his example and his life and his death and the cross, his humility, his servanthood, his suffering. God, help us to just remember internalize and God may it just through your spirit impact us encourage us spur us on to pursue the life of Jesus in our own lives and have the exact same attitude as him we love you it's in Jesus name amen